Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. So I want to just, uh, in your mind for a moment, take you back to a man who probably, if there was ever someone who could pretty well make his own decisions and not have to worry about what God thought about it, it would have to be David. Now you think about David. David was a little shepherd boy. We kind of picked that up in, in written history. And we know that God took him from behind the sheep, used him in a mighty way to bring down Goliath, and shortly thereafter he was groomed and ready then to become arguably Israel's greatest king. And in that position, he was a man after God's own heart, and he did some tremendous things with his life besides his slaying animals that would come against his sheep to being able to make Israel one of the greatest, if not the greatest, uh, nation in all the world at that time. And he did some magnificent things with his life. Now, I know he had some pukas in his character, some, some fatal flaws in his testimony, etc. But beyond all of that, he was a man who did great things. If there was anyone that probably could just lean back and make his own decisions and nine out of ten times have a successful result, that would be David. But that's not the case. This man, who was such a mightily used man of God, still had an attitude. And that attitude is the attitude that I hope that we'll bring to this message as we conclude this series, at least this part of it, today. And it's found in Psalm 143. And I want you to look at this verse, and maybe you would like to use it as a memory verse as you dig deeper into this whole concept of discovering God's will. It's Psalm 143, verse 10. And here's what David wrote. It's a prayer of deliverance and guidance, and it's actually coming from David. And here's what he said, a very simple verse. It says, in his heart to the Lord, it's a prayer. He says, teach me to do your will. So in other words, he's already assuming God is going to reveal his will and that when he revealed his will, he was going to do it. And I'll add this in there, no matter the cost. So I would hope that our attitude today as a faith family would be, Lord, I know you have a will for my life. I am going to trust you to reveal your will for my life. And when you reveal your will for my life, I will do it no matter the cost. But it doesn't stop there. Stay in the same verse. It goes a little bit further in verse 10. Um, And it says this. He says, for you are my God. So immediately he is recognizing, you are the large and in charge of my life. You are the CEO of my life. You are my God. You're the only God. You're my God. You are it for me and I'm for you. So he already sets it up by saying, I want your will. I want to know your will. Why? Because you are my God. Then the first part of the last part of the verse is this. Let your good spirit lead me. And it talks about on a level ground or stable land, etc. But the idea is, all right. I want to do your will. I want to know your will. I want to do your will. I want you to teach me your will because you're my God and I want you to lead me with your spirit. So when you come to today's message, I hope that your heart is, Lord, I know that you have a will for my life because I exist and you exist. And I want you to teach me that will and then I want you to teach me to do that will and I recognize the tremendous implication of the Holy Spirit in my life to guide me through the very center of your will. So before I go any further, even review from last week, my question to you is, do you really believe God has a will for your life, yes or no? Do you believe that God wants you to know His will for your life, yes or no? Do you believe that God wants you to do His will for your life? And are you willing to know it, to do it, in His power, for His glory, no matter what? 
Yes or no? Now, that's something you have to answer privately. Now, I'm going to come alongside you, and I'm going to give you today and prepare you even for the next part of our series when I return back from our trip. So you need to know this. So let's go back for just a moment for a very quick review. You may leave now Psalm 143 and go to uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Look at Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. This was the springboard, the foundation for what I began to teach you again last week. So let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Very quickly, because we have a lot of guests here today, and I don't want you to feel left out, because one truth builds upon another truth. Verse 1, it says, I therefore urge you, brethren, so we know that salvation is the idea here, because they're brethren, they have to be saved. So even at the beginning of anything about God and knowing His will and living His will, it has to begin with salvation. Then it says, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, which is consecration. So, if you want to begin the discovery of God's will, you need to know Christ as Savior. You have to be willing to surrender to Him as not only Savior, but also the Lord after you've trusted Him. There's a consecration that goes on. And then it goes on in verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. So that's a separation. So there has to be not amalgamation of my Christianity with the world system. There has to be a separation from the world's value system, the world's thinking. So there's a separation. But to do that, there's also more. There's a transformation. It says that we're not to be conformed to this world, so there is a split here from the world thinking, the worldliness, the world thought patterns, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. Why? And this is where we're going. So that you may prove or discover through testing of all of this what the will of God is. That would be the general will of God, just God's will for everybody's life. And we can go a little bit further and say, what is the more specific will of God for your life and what it might be? Now look up here for just a moment before I finish that. Today I'm giving the general will of God for every believer. I don't care what, what ethnic background you have, male or female. I don't care how, what your knowledge level is, your IQ is. This is the will of God for every Christian. So we all need to own this corporately as the universal church. We've got to own that. When I return from our, our trip, I'm going to continue on in Romans, and I'm going to now start lasering this down to what would be God's will for my life because I am different. Everybody is somebody in his body, but at the same time, we're all a little bit different in his body, and God did that for a purpose, and so there is a more specific will that he has for your life. We're going to talk about that and how to discover that. Now, that's going to be important for some of you that you're at a stage in your life and you're saying, where do I go to college? What do I become? What do I do? What do I do with my life? What, what, what kind of a tool did he make me? Am I a painter? Am I a plumber, so to speak? How does he want to use me? You want to be a part of that message because we're going to show you how that fits in. Those of you that have been locked in and you say, I can't quit my career now. I now discovered I wasn't designed for that. I have no fruit or fulfillment in that. Therefore, I shouldn't have gotten into this thing. It's, I, I'm doomed forever because I didn't know these truths at the front end and I've lived 20 or 30 years in this end of all this junk. What do I do then? I believe God will still, he allowed you to get in there, use how he's made you to take that lemon of life you've had or career and turn it into lemonade, preparing you for the time that he releases you from that into a whole new relationship or career or opportunity for your life. And you're on that wonderful edge. That's why you want to own these truths way beyond what I'm giving to you. We're going to cover that later on. Let's go back to the will of God again. It's still follow the train. The general will. What kind of general will is it? And what kind of specific will is it? Go back to the verse, verse 2. At the end of it, it says, what the will of God is, that which is good and well-pleasing, acceptable, 
and perfect, maturing, completing you so that you can reach your full potential of what God wants for you. That would be the will of God. So that is our foundational truths right here. So my question is, have you trusted Christ as Savior yet? Secondly, have you consecrated and dedicated yourself as a believer in Christ, not to get saved or to stay saved, but because you are saved? Have you separated yourself from the world's thinking? And I would say that comes in maybe two general phases. The first is where you willfully choose once and for all, I do not want the world's way of thinking, the philosophy, their value system. That's one. The second is it's a moment by moment separating because we keep drifting back into their their value system. We, We get that. I do that. You do that. We do that. So we're constantly moving away back. So it's a one time and it's a moment by moment slipping back into God's system again. And then finally, we do it by transforming our mind. And I'll say a little bit more about that in just a moment. But again, the transformation of our mind comes from when we own scripture. If you really want to know God's will, it sounds so trite, but I think this is the key. If I want to do and and know and do God's will, then all I need to do is know and do God's word because his will is all wrapped up right here. And if I'm living this out in my life, the rest of the stuff is going to kind of like on a Chinese checkerboard, you roll some some marbles on there, it'll kind of find its right hole and stop there. And you'll be like that as long as you're committed to the Word of God, knowing it and doing it, and you're in the Word, abiding in it. So to know God's will is to know God's Word, and to know God's Word, you'll be in God's will. All right, that being said, let's take out our notes from the last time we were together, because what I've done is a study on the phrase, this is the will of God, at least in in exactness or closeness to it, so you would see what is the general will of God for my life. One more time. Number one, it is to be saved. The will of God for my life is to be saved. You might wonder, why do you keep going back to that? Because there is no life apart from his life in me regenerated so that I could have eternal life. You must be a Christian. All right? If, if not, you're like a blind person in a dark room that has no light looking for a black cat that's not there. All right? You need to know Christ as your Savior. And it says it here. The Lord is not slow about his promises as some count slowness. But he is patient to you. In other words, he's given you time and time again, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance, a change of mind about who he is, who you are, and the way of salvation. Who he is, he's God. Who you are, you're totally lost. And the way of salvation is by faith alone in Christ. You've got to change your mind. And then take the next step and place your faith in Jesus Christ. So I pray that you'll do that. We've lost some people in this island this week through automobile accidents. We see that in the paper, have we not? We've lost some people through cancer and heart attacks Have we not? We've lost at least one woman this week because her husband stabbed her to death in front of their 10-year-old. When that lady woke up that morning, I don't believe she was uh, thinking that was going to happen to her. Who does? Who would? I wouldn't. People in the wreck, they would never have gotten a car. Why am I telling you that? We don't know when our heart stops beating. So God is patient with us. You're hearing it again. Please trust Christ because once it's over, it's over. Uh, one person said, God is probably only obligated to give the gospel once to you. After that, you've had it, that's it. But I'm telling you, God says, I am still patient with you. Trust Christ. So that's number one. Now, once you trust Christ, something happens. You have a light that goes on inside of you, an ability to begin to understand the scripture. You have a power source with the spirit of God within you. So all of a sudden, it's kind of like a whole new world opens up for you to be able to discover God and what he has for your life. And how beautiful that is. So let's go to number two. And that is, the next is to be spirit-filled, which sounds, uh, uh, it's a a pretty good uh, 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 transition. First, I got to be saved, then I need to be spirit-filled. So let me explain what that means. So let's go to the verse, and I'll give you what the phrase means. It says, so then, do not be foolish, 
implying we could be foolish. And so he's saying, so don't be foolish. So here's what you do. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Ah, okay, I want to understand what it is. I want to understand it so I can do it. Then he says, don't be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or that's destructive for you. Then he says, this is the will of the Lord, but be filled with the Spirit. And we'll stop there for a moment. Let me talk about the saved and the Spirit filling. When you trust Christ as Savior, at that moment, Ephesians 1 says that you get all of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to ask Him for more. You don't have to change your life to get more out of Him. You have all the Spirit the moment you trust Christ as Savior, all right? He is resident in you the very second, the very nanosecond that you trust Christ. But that doesn't mean He dominates your life. That's what the word fill means. When we hear the word fill, we think of a glass of water and we pour water in it and so the glass is filled, so we're filled with the Spirit. No, 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 no. We're indwe- that glass is indwelt by the water, all right? We're indwelt by the Spirit, but filling is more like it has an influence, it has a control, it dominates us. Our whole life begins to change because of the Spirit. So what God wants us to do is become saved and then get the Spirit. And now He wants us to be so influenced by the Spirit, it's as if He's controlling us and dominating in what we do. That's what He wants. So my question to you is, if you've trusted Christ, you have the Spirit inside of you, is the Spirit of God so influencing you that your life is changing from the inside out? You might be saying, I really don't know. How do I get the Spirit filling? Well, obviously, you've trusted Christ. You're already halfway there. You have him inside of you. Now you have to ask the question, what would block the Spirit of God from activating his power in you? And the only thing that separates you and God, Scripture says, is going to be sin. So if you've got sin that you're regarding in your heart, any kind of sin, that sin is going to block the influence of the Spirit of God. Now, the Spirit of God will convict you of that sin, remind you of that sin, teach you that that's a sin, prompt you to get out of that sin. But the more you continue walking in that sin, you're going to then grieve the Spirit. And the more you grieve the Spirit, you'll eventually quench the influence of the Spirit, not quench Him out of your life. But eventually, it kind of like begins snuffing out the brightness of the Spirit that's in your life when you let sin dominate you. So you want to deal with that sin. How do you deal with it? You name it as it is. It's sin. Jesus went to the cross for that. I name it as God sees that sin. I hate it like God hates that sin. And now I confess that sin to the Lord. And whoa. He then says, I forgive you. I cleanse you. I give you a do-over now. And all of a sudden now the Spirit of God starts really becoming, watch the word here, awakening you. Now he's already in you and he's already fully awake. But it it becomes like it's, it's awakening inside of you. And all of a sudden now you're saying, Spirit of God, I want you to so influence me. Now watch this, watch this. In order for him to influence you to know it, he's going to influence you according to Scripture. So don't look at what the world or the so-called pseudo-Christian world is going to tell you if you have the Spirit. They're going to say, if you have the Spirit, you're going to do all sorts of wild and crazy things out there. The best way you know you're influenced by the Spirit is you're going to be doing His Word because the Word is synonymous, in a sense, to His Spirit. So for influence into the Spirit means you're going to be influenced by the Word of God. Where does that begin? You're going to have a new love for the Word. You're going to want to be in the Word. You're going to want to know it correctly and clearly. And you're also going to want to live it out consistently by a Spirit. And so all of this, you become Word-based, Word-driven, influenced by the Word. Ooh, influenced by the Spirit, Spirit-filling. Now, get last week's message because I began to open it up in the passage of Ephesians that's found there that will show you some tangible ways that the Spirit of God will show you that it's, He's filling your life. Obviously, it's going to be pretty simple. It's singing the right songs. It's going to be saying thanks. It's going to be submitting to one another, things like that. It's in the passage. Let's go to number three. We covered this last week, and that is to be sanctified. We need to be pure. 
And that's kind of with that sin thing. So in other words, we want God's will, but we also want our flesh nature of passion and sexuality and sensuality and all of that. And God says, no, no, sex is not dirty and it's not wrong. It's what you do with it and how you do it and why you do it with what you're doing. And you're always thinking about satisfying the other person and that other person should be your mate of the opposite sex. And it says here in verse uh, 3 of 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, for this is the will of God. Did you bark that in your Bible? For this is the will of God. I want to know God's will. Okay, what's God's will for my life? Before I get down to do, do I get a Honda or a Camry or something? I need to know what does God want me to do? He says, your sanctification. What a word. We never use that word, sanctification. It means to be set apart, made pure and holy for a purpose to glorify the Lord. But in this context, what does it mean? That is that you do four things. Abstain from sexual immorality. That means get, a far, get as far away as you can from moral impurity as you possibly can. Don't even go near it. When you find yourself getting jazzed up and, and, and revved up with all of this and you know it's not in the context of godliness according to the scripture, then you know you want to get away as far away from that as you can. Abstain from moral impurity. Don't go anywhere near it. My mom used to say, Stan, if you sleep too close to the edge of the bed, you're going to fall out. If you're going to play with fire, you're going to get what, everybody? All right, so if I play with this stuff, I might think I'm just curious, I'm just a little intrigued. I want you to know the rest of these will be violated. Your body will take control. Your passions will go nuts in your life, and you'll defraud all the people that are around you. Now, if you need a testimony, it happened this week, or probably over the last few weeks it came out, with Ashley Madison. Have you been following the news on this Ashley Madison? It was set up, and it's not the only website, I'm told, that you can go to this website, you do certain things to get into this thing, your motivation is to have an affair that you won't get caught with other people that want to have an affair, and, and believe me, I've never gone to that site, and my glad I haven't. Now, let's go back to this, though. This site has been so used today, and they've plotted it through all the different states of the United States, every state, and Hawaii is almost in the middle of how many people have used Ashley Madison. The highest concentration of people have used it, interestingly enough, are those that are surrounding Washington, D.C. with a 15-mile radius, more out of that group than anywhere else. Now, with that, there's a big lawsuit that's being developed and launched now in the country of Canada that's a $500 million lawsuit against Ashley Madison. The problem with they're doing with this is they said Ashley Madison should have had more control over their security because they had a security breach. And because of this, all this stuff has gotten out and it has just messed up people's lives. And it's their fault for not controlling their security. Uh, of the, and I'm reading all of this stuff and I'm saying, this is crazy. That is not the problem. The problem is that people would go to a site like that for the purpose of whatever. I just want to see what it's like. I don't really not going to touch it. And we've seen... YouTube evangelists go down. We've seen reality people, uh, reality TV people go down, and it's just coming out now. I talked to Pastor Dennis yesterday, and I said, Pastor, I want to tell you something. You ain't going to find me on any dark website with my name next to Ashley Madison. And he said, you're not going to find my name there either. And I'm going to tell you that that's, in this verse, that's abstaining from moral impurity. You stay away from it as far as you can. Even the curiosity part raises eyebrows and puts you on a slippery slope into something that will destroy you. And then you only hurt yourself because remember what you did say? I want to know God's will. I want to do God's will. Well, if you do, you can't do both. It's one or the other. All right? And so in this case, stay away from it. The second one is uh, control your body. And you know that our body is filled up with hormones and all of the rest. And so sometimes our hormones now take over when we're not doing what we should be doing. And then we've got to control our body. And we've got a real problem. Subdue your passion. 
Uh, it says, not lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. So we have to subdue our passions. I think the best way to subdue your passion is to control your mind, control what you're thinking about, keep your mind on Christ, etc. That's important. But the phrase that caught me right here is this. You know what it says? Like the Gentiles who do not know God. Gentiles have, have a little bit more excuse. Now, I know they've got the, the, the conscience, Scripture says. We, we learned this in Romans 1. They have a conscience to govern them. But after a while, the conscience gets seared and burned and fried and calloused. And, so the conscience is almost ineffective in a lost person. We have it too, but the lost have that. They also have the law of God written in their heart, but they kind of shun that so much. So now they're just running pell-mell to this stuff. And so that's what the Gentiles do. It's like, what do dogs do? They bark. What do cats do? They meow. Okay, that's who they are. That's their nature that they do that. But it says, for Christians, you ought not to be like these Gentiles. Why? Because you have a new nature in you. You've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. Your conscience should not be seared. You've got the Word of God. You should be surrounded by other people that are reminding you, encouraging you, rebuking you, and teaching you, and modeling for you godliness in your life. You shouldn't do this. And so this was written to those who are Christians. So Christians, stop this if you want to know the word of, word of God and the will of God for your life. And the last is treat others fairly, because when you do this, I, I just couldn't help but I read the words of the, of the husband said this. He said, my wife forgave me and God forgave me. And um, I kept thinking it should have been in the other order. God forgave me and my wife forgave me, but whatever it is. And I got thinking, why did she have to forgive him anyway? She wouldn't have if he abstained from moral impurity. So if you really want to have the right kind of life, folks, you've got to own this stuff. If you want to know the will of God, here it is. Trust Christ as Savior, get saved. Secondly, let the Spirit of God influence you so that you are living this out. Thirdly, make sure you take care of the sexual issues in your life that are unbiblical. And if you do that, that's that sanctification, that's that purity. You will now begin that wonderful path of discovering the will of God. The rest are pretty simple, so let's go through these quickly and we'll be out of here for today. Number four is submissive. This deals with people that have a problem working under authority. And you can always hear them because they're generally griping about their bosses, they're griping about their supervisors, they're griping about their husbands, they're griping about their, their parents, they're griping about the leadership in a church, they're griping about those that have any rule over them or any influence over them in a particular institution. And notice what this verse says. It says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Underline that, if you will, every human institution. And then it talks about whether it's king or governors, etc. And then it goes a little bit further. It says, for such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And then it goes a little bit further, and it talks about the kind of submission that we ought to have. Let me talk about that here for just a little bit. When this was written, the United States of America and the U.S. Constitution was not written. Our way of government, best as I can tell you, was not activated here. Little bit because you had the Greek system and you had the Roman system, etc., but it was still so despotically different than what we have here. So you look at all the different governments that are out there. Is one better than the other? The answer is yes. Is one the right one, the only one, the, the correct one? This is the right government? No, there isn't. There's going to be flaws in every one of them because we're all, the, the government is designed by and lived by fallen people. All right. So that would tell me that in this scripture, it didn't identify what government. It just said, obey those that have the rule over you. In this sense, those institutions of man. So that means that no matter who's hearing me, that whoever is in power, whoever has the authority over us, which would be our constitution, perhaps a little bit the Supreme Court, and a few other things that come down both nationally, locally, and community here, we are to obey them. That's just the government. 
It says the same thing for wives to husbands. It says the same things for children to parents, same thing to, um, to uh, churches, to those that are in leadership. In your job, you have people that are over you. We get all of that, owners, etc., all that. Now, here it says we're to do that. Why are we to do that? Because we're doing it for, the, for Christ's sake, for the Lord's sake. We're doing it so that we maintain a testimony. We can show to the world. The biggest way we show to the world, the world is so much, me, my, mine, I'm in power, grumble about everybody who's in authority. I could always do it better. They're bad, they're this, they're that. I hate this, hate that. Run up all, against all these people. They have a problem with authority. Christians are the ones to show you this is how you submit under authority. Now stay with me now. Let me go back to all those authority figures, whether they're pastors or parents or, or padres, so I can keep all my P's together, fathers or husbands in the family. Listen carefully. We who are in authority really ought not to be in authority if we cannot live under authority. Did you catch what I just said? We ought not to really be in authority if we can't live under authority. And so those of us who are in authority... If anyone should show what we submit to, we should demonstrate to you a full consecration of surrender, submission to the Lordship of Christ in our life from the inside out totally. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.